0: America, I'm giving you a two-parter today, and I'm going to talk to you about the white family, the case for national action. And by you can say, Army, Army, how can you talk about the white family like that? Well, it's easy. I'm going to do it for probably about 10, 15 minutes right now, right? So in, uh, you know, Last Generation, a guy by the name of Moynihan came out with a famous report who's commissioned to come out with a famous report called the Negro Family. A case for national action, And it just degraded the situation of the Negro family, and it, it, said, it, it planted um, black degradation squarely at the feet of the black family. And the thing is, there's another report that came out before that, the Kern Commission that says, "You can't talk about anything about black life without actually talking about white supremacy, <laughs> uh, which I think is actually probably a better because like the black life is determined by its response to white terrorism. Um, so like nothing about the black family, very little about the black family has to do with black people without the, without being infected by the response to the racial degradation. So you have to understand about the white family and it, it sustains racial degradation in the United States and it does so through gender roles and it does so in a few different ways. I'm going to talk about, um, this granularly but like let's take a step back you have to understand the white supremacy is uh, it's held together by mutually reinforcing differentiated institutions right you got white media that speaks to a white church that preaches to white um, uh, families who then like run white businesses and all of these are differentiated spheres that mutually reinforce each other like organs in a body to create the racial hierarchy we all live in there a lot of them came out of colonialism right so the white family is what we know it is through because it's an artifact of colonialism even the women's rights struggle um, is uh, uh there's a i can't bring it up now there the, the women's rights struggle was shaped by women aspiring to and speaking in terms of attaining the power of white men over everybody else, right? So the National Project, for example, of Public Education and why it, was, why it kind of fit so well with both women's rights and um, uh, white supremacy is what you had is with public education, uh, and this you saw this even with the end of integration uh, the beginning of integration in schools, you had white people governing the black mind. And if you control the black mind, you control the black behind. right? So with public education, you had white people controlling the black mind in a way that is a little bit unbecoming, but it's them going on offense. It's not enough to teach white schools, they also wanted to teach black schools, but they didn't have enough men to do it. So women said like, this is something we can do, and we have the right to do. And so their play for equality was by becoming public school teachers. It was in a, because white, there weren't enough white men to do it. And um, that was like seen as being equal. They too could teach the quality of education that allowed white people to rule over, you know, non, white and immigrants and, and Catholics and um, non-WASP minds and Native American minds, right? So that was how kind of white supremacy and the feminist struggle kind of shared an interest Right, And the same, you could say the same thing with missionaries. It was the same, posi- the same position in missionaries. All women had to do was prove that they could be equal rulers of white men, and there was a lack of white men to do the job. And so women got a leg up, white women did, got a leg up uh, by proving to white men that they could teach the quality of education that would make um, uh, 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 you know, a, a pliant public, pliant non-white public. Or that would assimilate them into white supremacy. Right? And, you know, Luis Newman talks about this. There was uh, God, a Jamaican scholar who talks about this. Uh, let me track it down. Give me a second. I mean, it's it, there's, there's a test. If you want a white feminists who talks about this. You can find white feminists who talk about this. If you want uh, uh, (laughs) Gilman, Uh, if you want, uh, you know, black scholars, black male scholars who talk about this, you'll find black male scholars who talk about this because it's kind of not a hidden thing, right? And I'm trying to get this cat's name. Uh, uh, Oh, Errol Miller. Errol Miller, right? the prophet and the virgin, right? Um, So Errol Miller, that's E-R-R-O-L, Miller. The Jamaican scholar is kind of thinking about like, so we need to understand these institutions. So they went on the offense. They went, what I'm saying is white people went on the offense to control, to make black people subservient, right? We need to go on the offense to get rid of white supremacy. We need to start talking about using these public institutions, getting our people in charge of the public institutions. Right? We need black principles, like we need black people, free black people, emancipated Negroes in charge of these public institutions. Um, and we need to go on the offensive. The Moynihan Report was an offense against the black family. We need to go offensive against the white family. So what's the white family? What's going to be the characteristic features of the white family? Well, how does it divide by gender, right? So um, there's other leadership uh, legacy scholarship that says equal relations between men and women. Um, Is like actually a characteristic feature of, of uh, poor and outgroup relations, right? So like the inequality is a matter of is a class marker. (laughs) There's a way in which inequality is a matter of class marker for men to be one thing and women to be one thing, different thing in this kind of sort of way, and how they uh, govern themselves and what they're supposed to do. That's kind of a class marker. So even like masculinity and femininity. Is is a little bit white, and what we, what you assume of it, what you think you know about it, is an artifact of colonialism. Um, so it is an artifact of the way the white family organized itself to rule over others. Right. So this idea that men provide and protect, who are they protecting from? Who are these men providing from protecting? No, it's white men providing. It's it's, it's white men giving themselves a license through their gender to extract from everybody else. And who are they protecting from? They're protecting from everyone else who they're extracting from. And, uh, and you know, these white women who, like, have natural morality and are very fragile. No, that's, if you, ne- if you need to legitimize the, in group, out group violence, like violence to other people, you need a perpetual victim. So we created white women as the perpetual victim. And we've infantilized white women to a shocking degree, and I feel like it's a national shame. And I'm trying to, you know, it's really unfortunate, but we've infantilized them because that's their source of power, and that power works, right? So white tears are not just some idle device. They get people killed. They get a lot of black men killed. And, um, and, you just have to know that when do white women learn how to do that? When do white women learn how to weaponize their tears? they learned it from their mother. They learned it from that is the only way their father would pay attention to them. They learned that from their mother. Straight up told them, "Look, if you want things, just kind of cry a little bit." <laughs> <laughs> um, in so many words, their mother pretty much told them. And uh, if black, mom, if black mothers who tell that to black daughters are just setting themselves up for failure and confusion. I don't even think that's a thing. But white mothers absolutely tell their kids that. And they t- they teach him that, that variety of manipulation. Yes, and that happens in the family. That is a white family t- trait. That need that's a problem for justice because then outside of the family, everybody else is supposed to accommodate those white tears. I can't tell you how many times I've made white women cry in public, and people just assume that like because they're crying that, um. Uh, they were that they were wronged. <laughs> no, it's a power play. So I will continue to do that, and if you want me to continue to do that, go ahead and kick down to www.funkyacademic.com um, because the quality of education I'm giving you, the secret knowledge, is, depending on who you talk to, is making me down white unemployable. And I want to give you, I want to give you uh, a chance to to get in the fight. So. Um, So, where do white girls learn how to cry to get their way? Well, they learn it from their family. They learn it because that's how they were. That's their power. They could say, "Well, that's the only weapon we have." No, that's just your more effective weapon. That's just the most effective weapon you have. That's a weapon that works. Without that, you're without weapons like everybody else. (laughs) You know, you gotta watch the 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 people who like lean in on gender oppression because my. it's a weird kind of oppressed group that lives longer than their oppressors. Like, black people don't live longer than white people. Poor people don't live longer than wealthy people. But white women live forever. So, watch, watch, idea? Yeah, like, it's a queer kind of oppression. I'm not saying they have everything right. I'm just saying that it's a bizarre kind of oppression. Though They live longer and in more relative comfort than even their oppressors. Like, white men are eating a lot of risk out there. So, um. So where do they learn to cry to get their way? In the family, right? And now, where are they crying to get their way? In these uh, school board meetings, when, as mothers, they're coming to talk against critical race theory. So what happens is a habit that started in the family now metastasizes throughout society, and now they feel that entitlement to cry to get their way throughout all of society. And until you fix the white family, that's going to be a thing and it's going to work sometimes it even i get i get i get myself slipping because every now and then i'll be um in a meeting and there's a, there'd be a woman running the meeting or in some position of power and i'll say something about like the policy and she'll be like oh, i feel personally offended and i'll even think oh did i do something wrong but like meanwhile i was talking about the policy uh, but it's a trick it's a manipulation so i now and i'll tell you the line i have to tell myself before i go to these meetings well if you feel personally offended that's because you might be. Like personally implicated in some doo doo, that's not my problem. I'm talking about the policy. <laughs> what you have going on, and you're if you feel implicated in that, that's on you. I'm talking about the thing itself. So that's what you should tell the next time some. It's gonna be a, a woman, or most probably a white woman. Like you make a policy argument, and they like, oh, I feel personally offended by it. I don't, and, the line's got to be well. If that's that's about you being possibly implicated in some doo doo, I'm talking about a thing that may or may not have anything to do with you. That's up to you, All right? So, um, this idea that white feelings or the, you know the gender norms of women should should govern the public sphere—they shouldn't even govern the family, right? So that's like it's a colonial artifact to create perpetual victims because you need to protect someone from perpetual perpetrators, us, or anyone who's going to want something that white people want. And then you need the perpetual enforcer who's going to be the white man. So when do white men learn that it's their job to provide and protect and what that entails, and who that means protecting from, who that means protecting and protecting from, and how to extract in order to provide? Well, they learn that in the family. That's normed in the family. right? And it, networked in all of these other institutions so if you try to take out these institutions but don't take out the white family if you don't change the culture and 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 kind of redistribute the the norms around protection provision and like you know emotional responsibility around uh gender in the white family it's going to find its way and start like overwhelming other spheres of influence Right? You're going to have this mom expecting to get her way about critical education, uh, or, or critical race theory, in a school board meeting, because she's crying as a mother. And if she's crying as a mother, she must be right. No, um, she's just protecting herself. By the way, a, a lot of the anti-CRT, a lot of anti-critical race theory protests are about protecting white parents from having to tell the truth about themselves <laughs> to their kids. It's not about the kids. Kids don't care. Kids know it's not about them. It's about whiteness. like. As a cultural entitlement, an artifact, and like, but the parents know it's about, you know, making sure that my kid is nice to me, mom, papa, so I get the inheritance. So it's 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 the parents are or what's at stake, and the feelings of the parents, and the parents don't want to have to answer uncomfortable questions or lie to their kids. So that's what um, it's not about the kids. What the anti-critical race theory backlash is about. But then they'll say it's about, like you know, you should teach me how to do my family. Well, your family's a problem for justice, right? And until we actually get rid of some of these cultural commitments of the white family, it's going to be a problem, an anchor on any sort of public justice claim. Because once again, it starts in the family, but then it metastasizes. And it's reinforced in the white church, and it's reinforced in the white schools, like these entitlements. They come through gender, and then they'll come, but they'll come through just what we understand a family to be. Right? So we have to uh, change how they understand a family to be, because those kinds of cultural commitments are going to be what ultimately do black people in. Um, Because once they're actually realized and supported in other institutions, it's gone. So you gotta go right at the system. You gotta go right at the, the white family, if we're serious about getting rid of some of the gender commitments that then reproduce kind of a colonial dynamic writ large. So thank you for your time, and I will talk to you next week. And like I said, if you like anything, do doing, go to www.funkyacademic.com, kick in, 515 dollars $50. White people, if you're looking at this, uh, you know this is why your parents taught you to kiss your grandparents' butt. Like this is, <laughs> this is, uh, this is the ugly side of it. And um, it's okay that you don't like your parents. It's okay that you don't like your family. They are probably, or don't wanna spend time with them. You might like them and love them, but don't wanna spend time with them. It's probably because they're awful people and they expect you to accommodate them in their awfulness. And you would rather not. I'm here to say that you're absolutely right. They are awful people. And they do absolutely expect you to accommodate them in their awfulness. Um, I don't know. Let's go. Peace.